If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So good to see everyone here this morning. We have several visitors with us. We're thankful that you're here in attendance with us this morning. And this is the time of our worship where we get to open God's Word and learn some lessons from that. This morning we continue a series that we have started from the book of James. So I hope you have a Bible with you and you'll open your Bible to James chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you and that is page 812 in the pew Bible if you'd like to open and follow along. Most of our study will be from James, although I will be referencing several verses. Some of those I'll put on the screen uh, to make that easy. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote this letter to all Christians, primarily Christians of Jewish background, but to all Christians. This letter did not go to a specific church. It went to all Christians in an effort that James wanted to encourage Christians on how they needed to live as disciples of Christ, and how as Christians they were striving to grow to become perfect, to become complete, to become a mature Christian. And in our last lesson, James gave us something very specific that would help all of us become perfect and complete and mature. Trials. James 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials. This is the testing of our faith, and this can help make us complete. And we talked in detail about what those trials might look like and what they might be. They could be things that we bring upon ourselves. They could be things that come from just living in the world. They could be things that God has put in our life. And we noted several examples in the Bible where God has always tested the faith of his people with trials. James says to count it all joy when you enter into those trials. And we pointed out that this does not mean that trials are going to be enjoyable. The word count it means to consider, to deem, to suppose, to think. And so when these difficult and challenging times come upon us and they are hard and they are painful and even unbearable at times, we have to stop and consider and think, what is this trial doing for me? As hard as it is, it's a test of my faith and it's an opportunity to make the right response. We are all going to face trials. Some of us will face the same trials, the same challenges, the same difficulties. But it's our response that's going to separate us. 
how I respond and how you respond could be very different. And that's what God is looking for. Patience is what is the outcome of all this. And patience makes us perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And that takes us to our text today, James chapter 1 and verse 5. And by the way, this is a really good extending point to the point about our lesson about trials. What could we all use more of when dealing with trials? Wisdom. And so James says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I really only have two points this morning, and they're pretty simple. They seem like they'd be pretty easy to understand. And yet, time and time again, we as Christians fall short in our need to ask God and to seek God out and to pray to God and to pray specifically for wisdom. And then to do so in faith and trust and to not doubt that God will answer our prayers and will give us this wisdom that we are praying for. So our first point is to ask God for wisdom. How would we ask for wisdom? I know this might seem like an obvious answer, and there I'm sure as many in this room that will be able to answer that, but I don't want to assume that everyone would necessarily know that answer. But the answer is through prayer. That is how we talk with God. That's, that's how we would ask for wisdom. God is our Heavenly Father. And just like an earthly father would communicate with his son or daughter, we have to have this communication, this ongoing relationship with God, our Father in Heaven. And we do that the same way we do with one another. Through hearing and listening and talking. We hear God by reading His Word and listening to the Bible. We talk to God and we ask things of God through prayer. So before we go any further, you have to have a strong prayer life and a relationship with God, daily listening and talking to God. In this specific text that James gives us, he is telling us to specifically ask God for wisdom, to pray, to ask God, our Father in heaven, to grant us wisdom. Well, he does say, if any of you lack wisdom. So if you've got plenty of wisdom, I guess you're excluded from this. But I'm pretty confident that we all lack wisdom. That we all could use more wisdom. And so all of us, every one of us, needs to be praying to God and asking for more wisdom. Why did James tell them this. They were Christians, remember? 19 times he references them as brethren. Why would we need to hear this? Well, maybe they were not or we are not praying at all. Maybe we don't have a prayer relationship with God. Well, that's certainly a problem. Maybe our prayers are focused on 
things that we shouldn't be praying for, or maybe even good things, but we're never focusing on our need for wisdom. And we don't maybe truly understand how valuable wisdom is. Even the world understands the value of wisdom. And so I have a couple of definitions on the screen in regards to knowledge and wisdom. And the world would certainly encourage you to gain knowledge and to gain wisdom and that these are valuable things to you throughout your life and everything you do. Wisdom is the ability to discern, to use good sense, to use good judgment. And so how does that connect with knowledge? Well, knowledge is a a knowing or understanding something. And we would typically gain knowledge through study and research of truth and facts and information. And many of us do that through education. We go to school or our parents will teach us things. And sometimes we extend into college and trade schools and apprenticeships and different things to, to gain knowledge on a specific area. Well, wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge in a very intelligent way and to discern and to use good judgment and sense. And we often gain wisdom as we go through different experiences in our life. And so one can have knowledge and not have any wisdom. But when we add wisdom to our knowledge, that amplifies our knowledge, that strengthens our knowledge, that gives us the ability to use our knowledge in a way that we never could before. So now let's look at what the Bible tells us, some passages from the Bible, because certainly those are some good worldly definitions, but what does the Bible say about wisdom? And so let's start in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Solomon coming up, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb, an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. One chapter over in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So it starts, as we saw in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, with the fear of God. The respect for God and who he is. And we've made this point so many times in so many of the lessons that I have presented that that it all begins with our understanding of who and what God is. That he is our creator. We owe him everything. We can never repay him for the things that he has done. That he is our judge. That every knee will bow. At some point, we will all stand before him in judgment. And once we have those things established and solidified in our mind, we will want 
to increase our knowledge and our wisdom. And we will want to engage in Bible study and a regular prayer life of asking God and seeking out God for help and wisdom. We have an example of a man in the Bible who asked God for wisdom, and God granted that to him and made him the wisest man ever to live. And that is who we just referenced in Proverbs 1.1, King Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, and verse 5, we see that God came to Solomon in a dream by night, and he said to Solomon, Ask, what shall I give you? Anything you want. God is giving him a, a, a question to ask of him to grant him anything he likes. Now, we don't know the exact age of Solomon, and if you do a little digging and research on that, you'll find anywhere from 15 to 25, but he's probably in his early 20s, a fairly young man. And think about yourself when you were in your 20s, your early 20s, and if someone were to ask you, what, what do you want? I'll give it to you, whatever it is. I'm sure there's a lot of things that we would have asked for at that age that may not have been best for us. Well, what does Solomon ask for? Verse 6 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Obviously, he's not referencing his age. He's not a little child, but he's referencing his, his humility before God. That he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to do this task of being a king. He doesn't know how to, to be the servant that his, like his father was before him. Verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people from whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Verse 9. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Here we see a man of great humility and makes a great request of God. When he could have asked for anything, he asked for wisdom. He asked for the ability to understand and to discern and to judge among these people. And God was very pleased with this. In fact, God even says, you could have asked anything. You could have asked for long life and riches and, and protection from your enemies, but you didn't ask any of these things. You asked for wisdom. And that pleased God. And God blessed him and granted him that great wisdom and plus much more. And so maybe our prayers should be more focused on asking God for wisdom and not other things that we may not need. But just because God gives you wisdom, as he did Solomon, we still have free choice, free will choice, and we still have to make the right choices. And we, most of us, know the story of Solomon. And God even tells him in verse 14, after he blesses him with this great wisdom and these blessings, 
as long as you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, you'll be blessed. And Solomon did that for a time being. But sadly, he did not adhere to that his entire life. If you flip over a few chapters to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women. The daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites. Verse 2, From the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. That was the warning that God gave his people. Do not intermarry with these nations. Why? Because they will turn your heart away from me and turn them towards other gods. And yet Solomon ignored that. The wisest man, again, he doesn't mean he always chose to use wisdom. And in this case, he did not. He ignored God's instruction. He married many of these women. And verse 4 says, And four of the so, when Solomon was old, what happened? Exactly what God said would happen. That his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. So it is important to note that as we ask for wisdom, and we pray for that, and we do so with faith, and God grants that wisdom to us, we still have a choice that we must make to use it in our lives. James gives some additional points about wisdom, so hopefully you kept a finger in the book of James, and you're back there. Now in James chapter 3. Look at what he says about wisdom, starting in verse 13. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the first, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When I read that, it seems that Solomon gave in to that earthly wisdom, that self-seeking wisdom, wanting to do things for himself. He ignored the commands of God and did what he wanted for himself. James says that you are able to see someone who has wisdom. How? By their conduct. How they live every day. As Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. And the same is true with wisdom. We can evaluate how people live. We can see wisdom being carried out in their everyday life. And then James clarifies that there are two types of wisdom. A wisdom that is earthly and a wisdom that is from above. This earthly wisdom is self-seeking and full of envy and evil. But the wisdom from above, what a definition that he gives, is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, 
full of mercy, good fruits, no partiality, no favoritism, no hypocrisy. This is why James tells us, ask God for wisdom. This definition, this description of wisdom from above is a description of Christ and how he lived, who we're striving to be like, how we are focused on our relationships with our brethren and with those of the world, and how we're striving to live gentle, peaceful lives and be merciful and do good works to others. Willing to yield. That was one that really caught my attention. That It's not about me. It's not about me getting the way I want. I'm willing to yield to the need of others. Taking all this instruction and knowledge from God and using it in an intelligent way with discernment and understanding. That is the wisdom that we are asking God for. So we must be humble, much like Solomon was. Solomon is a a great example in his early life of how he was humble before God. And he asked for God to bless him with wisdom. We too need to be that way in our asking of God. And so we ask. We don't demand it from God. We don't expect it from God. We come with humble hearts, praying and hoping that God will grant us wisdom. And I I think it's also important to point out the asking of God. That might seem like a, a simple point, but so much in our lives, where do we reach out to? Who do we seek when we're looking for wisdom and answers? How often can we find ourselves going to a man, going to a book, going online to YouTube videos and and Googling different things. And certainly there's a place for some of those things. But when we're talking about wisdom from above, there's only one person we can ask, and that is God. And only God can bless us with the wisdom that we need to be acceptable before him and to be ready to go to heaven. And James says when we do ask, he gives liberally and without reproach. What an encouraging message that when we ask for wisdom, that God is gracious and generous and kind, and he will gladly bless us with wisdom. And he never reviles us or disapproves or is disappointed when we come asking, when we're humbly on our knees, bowed before him, asking for his guidance, his wisdom, and his strength. Of course, Jesus taught similarly on the Sermon on the Mount. We've studied that before in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Our second point is that asking is not enough, but we must make sure that we are asking in faith, with no doubting. And that seemed at first initially to me strange. If I ask for something, of course I I think it's going to be delivered. I wouldn't ask if I didn't think it would be delivered. But James makes it clear that we can ask and we can 
do so with no faith or we could do so doubting that God might actually answer our request. And I think the text that we just were reading in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is encouraging them to, to seek out and to pray to him and to ask, and he'll get the answers he's looking for, he goes into an example of a man and his son and the, the earthly man who's full of evil. He knows what his son needs. He knows what is best for his son. So how much greater will the Heavenly Father know what we need? And James does address, how can this happen? How can someone ask with doubts? Well, a person that is like a wave in the sea is a person that will ask with doubts. What does that mean? A, a wave is what? It's, it's driven by the wind. It has no control of where it goes. There's no stability. It's, it's constantly driven back and forth by the wind. And we can find ourselves like a wave in the sea with no stability and just drawn back and forth by different men or different doctrines that we read. James also says that this person is double-minded. He wavers back and forth between both sides. He's just undecided. One moment he believes and trusts in God and one moment he doubts God and does not believe in God. And Jesus also warned of this in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The double-minded man cannot ask in true faith. He's going to have doubts, and he's going to waver back and forth, and he will not receive an answer. From God. A few uh, examples uh, from the Bible about doubt. And again, we could have listed several more, but it's just interesting to think about some of these individuals who we know were faithful servants of God, and yet they had doubts. And they struggle with doubt at times in, in their life. And so we won't read a lot of detail. Most of you know these accounts. But let's go over them quickly. Genesis 18:13. Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child, and you know that story. They're of old age, and Sarah at this point has laughed. And in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life of Sarah shall have a son. Numbers chapter 11. This is a time when the people have come to Moses and they're grumbling because they have no meat. They've been eating manna and now they want meat and they're grumbling. And so Moses has gone to God and God is going to provide. In verse 21, Moses said, as God has just told him, he's going to provide the meat. This is Moses' response. The people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may have may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So Moses is doubting. How are you going to do this, God? 
Even Moses, with all the things he's witnessed and seen, he has some doubts as to how this could be done. Verse 23, And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. And of course, he's going to witness this happen. Luke, in chapter 1, verse 36, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the angel has come and explained to Mary how she is going to give birth to Jesus, even though she is a virgin, that she will give birth to him. And we don't really get any indication that, that Mary is having a lot of doubts. But you can imagine being in Mary's situation and how you would have some doubts about how this is going to happen. Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 1. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I love Mary's response in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is with his disciples. Starting in verse 18, Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only see what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So lots of examples in the Bible of people who had doubts, who questioned, and over and over were told that there's nothing that God cannot do. And as long as you believe and you have faith and you do not doubt, and you ask in this confident manner, God will answer your prayers. We're also told in the Bible that there are these things that we just can't understand. That there are ways of God that, that we just don't understand and we just have to trust Him. Isaiah 55 verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church of Jesus Christ, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. These verses remind us that they, we are not on the same level with God. And just because we don't understand something as to how it works or how it's going to work out, we can still have trust. 
we can still remove doubts. We can still have faith and believe that God will provide. Let's go back to James and finish up with a final few final points here. James in chapter 4 and verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So one of the points that we keep driving home here is that we are to ask God for wisdom and knowledge and strength and all sorts of guidance. But when we ask, what is the way in which we are asking? What are we asking for? We have to examine that. We have to examine what our motive is for asking it. And if we're asking for something amiss, as James says, that you can spend it on your pleasures, then of course, God is not going to answer that request. James gives us a really great way to overcome being double-minded, as he talked about at the beginning, the double-minded man, the unstable man, who won't get his prayers answered. James chapter 4, still in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. What a great verse for us all to meditate on this week. Draw near to God. Mourn. Humble ourselves. Dwell on the lowly state of ourselves and our need for God. How can I draw near to God? What what are some practical things that I can do? Maybe I could listen to the Bible or listen to a lesson as I'm exercising and walking on the treadmill or as I'm driving in my car to work instead of listening to a talk show or music. Maybe I can listen to the Bible. Maybe at my lunch hour, when I'm eating my lunch, I would normally turn on music to listen to. Maybe I could listen to some gospel songs and sing along and be encouraged by by the gospel music that we would sing here. Maybe I could seek out someone who's in need. Show mercy. Do a good deed. Maybe I could pray deeply to God for wisdom. These would certainly be some examples of many things we could do to draw near to God. James 5 and verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is there anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let's conclude this morning by turning to Matthew chapter 14 and looking at the example of Peter and the doubts that Peter had. Matthew 14, starting in verse 28. This is where they see Jesus walking on the water. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command to me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus tells us why Peter began to sink. Because he lacked faith and he doubted. The text tells us that it was the boisterous wind, the storm, that caused Peter to doubt and to lose faith. And like Peter, we might ask God for something. But if those boisterous winds and storms cause us to lose faith and doubt, we too will sink. But thanks be to God that we can call out to Him and ask Him to save us. And He'll reach out and He'll save us. Let us ask God for wisdom. Let's not be fearful to do that. We need to do that. Let us do so in faith and without doubting. And when we do, he promises to provide. And once God has blessed us with that wisdom, let's not let it go to waste. Let's choose to use the wisdom from above so that we can be prepared to handle the trials and difficulties that come that we can be prepared to serve God, to serve one another, to love one another, that we can be complete, perfect, a mature disciple of Christ, and we can be ready to meet our Creator in the Day of Judgment. If you're here this morning and the invitation is calling to you, maybe you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, we rejoiced last week as Lou came forward and he made that choice. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins. And that's where it begins. This message is really from James to Christians. But once you become a Christian, the beautiful avenue of talking to God and hearing God through the study of His Word will allow you to grow and increase your faith and be the disciple that he wants you to be. If you're here this morning, you're subject to the invitation of Jesus Christ. 
Or you just need the prayers, as we talked about in James. Maybe you need to confess some prayers and some trespasses, and you need the prayers of the congregation. Whatever we can do to help you in your walk, if you'll come forward now as we stand and sing.